Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 1st, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games Exploratory Committee recommending on Friday that Colorado indeed pursue a bid to host the Winter Olympics and that any bid should also go to the voters. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, first of all, I need to thank you. Patty was the one that alerted us this news was coming. Uh, we tape at noon, so it's nice to be able to get some breaking news. What do you think, and do you think this is going to get the overwhelming support of people like Governor Hickenlooper and Mayor Hancock? Well, they are apparently supporting it just by the announcement that came out with this tiny, tiny report, which yeah, I just printed out. Uh, yeah, haven't quite finished it yet. But it's interesting because they're quoted. They say um, we should pursue it. The most interesting thing, of course, is that we are going to pursue it with a statewide referendum, not Denver, but a statewide referendum, which is smart because, of course, if they didn't, we would be having a referendum anyway. The funniest part just is that they say they had such a robust, robust, transparent discussion. And if that was a robust discussion, I beat Lindsey Vaughn in the downhill. <laughs> <laughs> you may indeed. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, it feels like everything old is new again, uh, and if we have a, a potential Olympic bid uh, in the wings, do you think there's also maybe a, a future Dick Lamb waiting in the wings, waiting to knock the sucker down? Well, and he's uh, the co-chair of a committee that would have led on a referendum to stop it, uh, or an initiative to stop it in the first place. And I, I think the issues that led the voters to do this in uh, 1970 are, uh, 70, 72, um, are, are still the same. Uh, the, we've got too much population, lots of traffic jams. Uh, you go hiking and instead of like being out on your own or seeing people once in a while, you feel like you're at the shopping mall. Uh, and we don't need any more, uh, we don't need to goose growth in this state. But so the kudos to the committee for saying it should be done by a vote. That's good for them. Um, I'm a little, they say that it would not have any direct taxpayer funding. Um, I am curious about the mechanisms they'll come up with uh, for what they allow, which is indirect taxpayer funding, and that could be just as large as the direct type funding. Eric Sonner, political analyst. Uh, as I've said before questions, I could imagine people, uh, heavy hitters like Governor Hickenlooper, Mayor Hancock, uh, calling Eric Sonderman and getting your advice. If they do it on this one, how robust should their support be for this, uh, knowing where Colorado is right now? Well, if you're John Hickenlooper, your political career in, Den in Colorado is probably over. Maybe he's running for the Senate in two years, but uh, likely he has bigger ambitions here. So I think the stakes are lower for him. Uh, I think, you know, Patty and David both hit it. The, the real lead to me is not that they endorsed moving forward. The real lead is that they endorsed having a statewide vote. Now, that was inevitable, as has been pointed out. It was either going to be done by a referendum or people were going to, before the sundown today, be uh, going out to... Uh, to start a petition drive. Uh, so that was going to happen. It's an, after the 72 vote, we're the only state that has ever said thanks but no thanks to the uh, International Olympic Committee. Uh, so you're going to have to get a referendum. I mean, you're going to have to get a positive vote of this state. I can't wait to be the one stuck in traffic on I-70 heading to the mountains or heading back from the mountains on a Sunday evening and listening to that radio ad about why this is such a wonderful idea. I think it's going to be a very tough sell in this congested, overly, uh, overly hyped up economy that we have at the moment. I think it's a tough sell. Penfield Tate, attorney at QTech Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. 
If the uh, campaign to push this bid came a calling to have you do some work for them, uh, how would you take that phone call? I probably wouldn't answer the phone. Um, you know, I, and as we've talked about throughout this entire process, that I, I think the, the mayor and the governor both have aspirations beyond their current offices. I think they learned very early on in this open and transparent process that there was significant community opposition. Accepting the recommendation to go to a vote is an easy out for them rather than just tanking the effort and saying we're not going to do it. They're going to let the voters tell them what they suspect they would have been told anyway. So now they get political cover and, and and so this all sort of goes away, one would hope. And to sort of build on Patty's theme, if the process has been open and transparent and objective, then I beat Usain Bolt in the 100 and 200 meters dash in, in, in any um, race. I like how you double down the 100 and the 200. <laughs> That's good. Democratic gubernatorial candidates Jared Polis, Donna Lynn, Kerry Kennedy, and Mike Johnston faced off in a debate right here in the CPT 12 studios that airs tonight at 9 p.m. I was joined by our very own Eric Sonderman and CBS4 political specialist Sean Boyd. Education, transportation, and a newly released attack ad produced by a group supporting Kerry Kennedy were among the topics discussed. Patty, we were uh, excited to have you here for the taping on Wednesday. You got a chance to see it. What did you think? What were your takeaways for you? Well, the most entertaining moment was watching you twirl your pen. I was sitting in the control room as people needed to speed it up towards the end, but that is one viewers will not see tonight. <laughs> Otherwise, I had zoomed over here because it was the first really negative campaign day that a 527 Teachers for Kennedy had put out, bought a big ad buy, and also was sending out flyers attacking Polis and Johnston specifically, and I would say inaccurately. So I wanted to see how they would respond. I think it's the first televised debate with all four, because Polis missed the one at Channel 9 at, in April. So to watch them all respond was interesting. Uh, st sticking with the Olympic theme, Carrie Kennedy was like a gymnast who stuck the landing. She did not waver for a second, and that included answering Sean Boyd's question. She didn't do that either, but she just stuck to her message. Whether she landed in the right place for Colorado voters is going to be a little tougher to figure out because there's no polling right now. But I thought Donna Lynn, I thought they were all very good. We would be in good hands with any of them. I enjoyed, I always enjoy our debates, but I like when you get to hear it from the, the candidate's mouth and on a variety of issues, you just get something completely different than you get from 30-second ads. Again, that's tonight at 9 o'clock. David, I probably didn't get a chance to watch the debate yet. It's not yet broadcast, but... When you see some of these attack ads, and specifically this one, going to uh, charter schools and things like that, I, I don't know if that plays as a, such a negative ad as maybe the teachers union would expect it to. Well, I, I would disagree with, with Governor Hickenlooper, who deplored the ad. The fact is you have the, in, these, in this race with, with four candidates, on most issues, they're very, very similar. And this, this ad highlights a real important difference between Kerry Kennedy and, and two of her opponents. Kerry Kennedy is A-plus down the line for unions, period, in all circumstances, at all times. Uh, unlike Kerry Kennedy, Jared Polis and Mike Johnston have substantial experience in education, and they sometimes balance the union interests versus the interests of the students and families. So that, 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 that's a, a large contrast, and I, I think voters on either side of that are, are better off uh, for knowing about it. And I would say if, if Johnston and Polis, instead of complaining about things, fight back and, and draw attention to this issue, uh, this will probably help them in the, the general, uh, should either 
be the nominee uh, in, in the general election, because I think most voters are agree with, for example, like the thing that Mike Johnston voted for along, along with plenty of other Democrats and Republicans that says there's got to be some mechanism to, at least over a period of years, a teacher who is consistently ineffective in the classroom has to be gotten out of the classroom. You, if you agree with that, you'd be for Johnston. If you disagree with that, you'd be for Kennedy. Eric, as we said in the, in the setup, you were there, and I think you asked one of my very favorite questions of the debate when you pressed them on the, what happened at the state convention when the Democrats for Education Reform were, were forced, to, at least from the convention's point of view, to strike Democrats from their name because they had the, the, the temerity to disagree on something about education. Uh, the answers were interesting. What, are you, what were your takeaways being right there at the front row seat? Well, it's more interesting, Dominic, than the answers were the non-answers. Uh, it strikes me that Kerry Kennedy is increasingly dictating the terms of this campaign. She is becoming, I think she has claimed the front runner status, not, not that she's went out and, and grabbed it, but it's been, it, 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 the polls and others have given it to her. Hickenlooper referenced as much in his uh, minor castigation uh, of her. Uh, and it just feels like everyone is now reacting to Kerry Kennedy. Kerry is incredibly smooth and polished these days. She's not the person that all of us came to know on the political scene years ago, who is sort of this free thinker, say what's on her mind, glib, uh, obviously uh, with the brain firing very quickly. She now is scripted and programmed and on message relentlessly. She reminded me in some ways at that debate, uh, I hadn't seen a politician so relentlessly on message since maybe Cory Gardner four years ago. Now the difference is Cory Gardner is able to stay on message no matter what question you ask him, but not look like it's quite so practiced. And in Kerry's case, it does come across as very practiced. She was not going to answer that question about Defer, no matter how many times it was asked, no matter if I was asking a follow-up, if Mike Johnston or others were pushing her. And on other questions as well, she has her script and she is sticking to it. It is working for her, uh, it is working for her at the moment. What is interesting to me is if you look at the Democratic governors in recent and even not all that recent memory in Colorado, they'd all be classified at some level as an ed reformer. You go back to Dick Lamb, who was very openly critical of the teachers' union in his day and since. Roy Romer was, uh, he signed the first charter school law that authorized charters in the state. After he was governor, he went on and became a very reform-minded superintendent of the Los Angeles School District. Bill Ritter signed Senate Bill 191. And let's not forget who he picked for an appointment to the U.S. Senate, Michael Bennett, who was then the, the superintendent of Denver Public Schools. John Hickenlooper has clearly come down on that side of this divide. It's an interesting divide that has emerged in the in this race. It has become the wedge issue in this race because there really aren't any other wedges that divide these candidates. Kerry has some running room. She's picked some real estate where everyone else is fighting over the uh, over three. You have three people fighting over one chunk of real estate, and Kerry owns the other chunk of real estate by herself. Penn, one of the things that I noticed was this: the one of the first times, as Patty noted, that we'll, people will be able to see on television all four candidates right there talking with one another, bringing up the issues, and one of the faces they haven't seen as often is Donna Lynn. Uh, we've seen her arm in the tattoo ad, but, that, but we haven't seen as often. She's had the same media buy, I get that. Uh, but it's also not that she's been a major high-profile lieutenant governor. So when it comes to 
introducing herself to candidates, or introducing herself to voters, this would be w one of the, the peak times now doing more television. What difference do, uh, does a televised debate make? I, I, I'm a, a public television nonprofit guy. I think they make a, a whole heck of a difference. I'm a little biased. You've been out there. You've been a candidate. You've been part of the different campaigns. Does it make a difference? I think they do, and I think they make a difference from two perspectives. Uh, you'll notice, and I think to Eric's point and some of the others, the candidates were on message, they were on script, they said what they wanted to say. That doesn't happen by accident. You know it's an opportunity where you get to frame it, it to the best you can the context of how you deliver what your message is and what your vision is for the state. So it's important from a candidate point of view. I, I think in many instances a lot of the folks who watch the debates are there to root for their candidate so that many of the viewers have their minds made up, but I also know that many of the viewers don't. And remember this is the first time in our political cycles that unaffiliated voters will be able to vote in a primary, so none of us is quite certain how that dynamic is going to play. So I think the debates are important and, and I think they're really important for Donna Lynn because of the four candidates, although she's the current lieutenant governor and chief operating officer and essentially has been doing the job for two years, she's the only one who's never run for office before. So she doesn't have the perspective. In many ways, this works for her. She's not a quote-unquote politician. She hasn't run a candidate uh, campaign before, but she hasn't run a campaign before. And in terms of the wedge issue, I'm dying to see it tonight. I couldn't stream it live um, yesterday. But the education piece, I think, is interesting because when you take into consideration the unaffiliated voter, I'm not certain that that's particularly the issue that they care about. I think our lightning round topic is a better indication. It's growth, it's congestion, it's quality of life, and that really speaks to the issues of housing, transportation, health care, some of these other issues, not necessarily K-12 education. The master of the segue may end up being your new nickname, Penn, because next topic, <laughs> Governor Hickelooper signed several bills into law on Tuesday, including a $645 million initiative intended to pay for various transportation projects over the next two years. Hickelooper also signed a bill that would allow undocumented immigrants to renew their driver's licenses online or by mail beginning January 1st, 2019. Uh, David, in full disclosure, the Independence Institute is, uh, I'm not sure, if, is, is working on or at least considering a transportation initiative yes. for the fall. But what do you think about this bill? $645 million is not chump change. It seems like that would pay for a lot of transportation uh, progress. Well, it, it, it can. But it, it's less than meets the eye because the, the large majority of that amount was something that had already been allocated by the legislature in the 2017 budget. So it's just a little bit above that. So you've got two years of... of more because last legislature than the current one, of, of some increase in transportation funding. After that, from in year three and, and, and thereafter, it's just an extra $50 million a year compared to the baseline, which is not even close to adequate uh, to meet the, the needs on Colorado's crumbling uh, and, and poorly maintained roads. Uh, the top line figures are also less because a significant amount of money goes to local governments with very little accountability for their local projects of bike lanes or, or whatever. And those are things that are more properly funded by the local governments. They have their own taxing authority, and the people there who want a, a bike lane or, or a road improvement or whatever within a city or a county, they, they can decide on, on 
whether the money's worth spending or not. The state money should be used for the state transportation network, the state highways, and, and the interstates. Uh, but there's a, an important ideological division of the legislature. Some people who want to improve transportation, and another view expressed by Representative Faith Winter, we need to get drivers off the road and into public transportation. And so, of course, if you think of that, then you oppose things that will make the roads better. The worse the roads are, the more people you force into public transportation. Eric, this, the idea of transportation came up in our debate, and I guess I wasn't shocked, but the, 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 the chorus from all four candidates was, we need more tax money to pay for better roads. And I think this has the, the, the possibility of becoming a campaign issue. There's $645 million. David makes a good point about how it is all structured, but that's nothing to sneeze at. Do you think this becomes a bigger deal for the eventual Democratic and Republican nominee to argue over how we pay for transportation? Oh, I think it will clearly will be a, a major issue in the fall, a bigger issue in the fall than it is here uh, in, in the primary. Yes, $645 million is a very big number. As David points out, portions of it get siphoned off in other directions. And when you compare that $645 million against the need in this state, I mean, some people talk about the need at $20 billion. I'm enough of a cynic that I hear numbers like that, and my immediate instinct is to cut it in half. So, you know, but even if you cut it in half, $645 million, it makes a dent, but it only makes a, a dent. The real story here, to my thinking, is less the $645 million, substantial as that is, and less the $50 million additional of ongoing dollars year after year. It's the vote that is coming up here as part of this package for bonding authority to really jumpstart our, 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 our road and anti-congestion program. And that is going to be a huge political campaign upcoming. It's going to pit two sort of diametrically opposed voter instincts. On the one hand, this is a state that tends to be leery of tax increases. Let's not forget an educational tax increase that was on the ballot a few years ago that went down almost two to one. On the other hand, as Penn has pointed out and others already in this program, congestion and roads and getting people from point A to point B is the issue right now in this state, particularly in the metro area, but elsewhere as well. Even in rural areas, it's not a congestion issue, it's a maintenance issue. Uh, and are voters willing to dig pretty deep into their pockets to pay for that? And we're going to be talking about that around this table for the next few years. Penn, is there other issues in the bills that Governor Hickelper signed that we're missing, or are we appropriately focusing the transportation one? Focusing on transportation, but I just want to reference and congratulate the General Assembly and the governor for the bill that allowed undocumented immigrants to, to renew their driver's licenses. And what's important about that is it shows how, in many ways, bipartisan or nonpartisan this issue is. The Republicans that supported it were from rural Colorado who said, our agricultural economies depend upon these seasonal workers, some of whom are not documented, but we need them. And if they're not here, we can't run our businesses. We can't generate produce for this state and the nation to feed our population. So it sort of forces the immigration conversation and casts it in a different light. With regard to Senate Bill 1, the transportation funding measure, what's most important, I think, about the bill is not what it does, but what it does not do. The General Assembly passed up on the opportunity to refer a measure 
now that would address how to fund and provide additional funding to support bonding for transportation construction. And the impasse was Republicans didn't want a tax increase, the Senate Republicans. House Democrats wanted a tax increase. They wanted new revenues. They blinked and they passed a bill with no new revenues. And so what's going to happen in the vote this November is the Independence Institution uh, initiative calls for, and from my perspective, mandates that a portion of the general fund go to road construction. That's why I think that's a bad idea because that's a <coughs> mandate that doesn't take into consideration the other needs of the state. What the chamber's proposing is a sales tax increase, which is among the most regressive taxes you can increase, but it calls for generating a new revenue stream that supports the bonding proposal. So you have these very diametrically opposed philosophies, and I don't know, we may see that when you have two options on the ballot, the answer is no to both. Patty, wrap it up for us. Well, we could have made the immigrants drive over the really badly maintained <laughs> roads to get here. This wasn't a new idea. We already had the program in place for them to be able to get driver's licenses, but there were, what, three locations in the state where they could do it, and you just couldn't get there over those bad roads. So this was a good move. It was a smart move. As for the tra transportation bill that they passed, anything was surprising, but the November fight is going to be huge and I think confusing for a lot of people. I was sorry that we didn't see anything about Tabor, and what was interesting is every single candidate on the debate starts talking about fixing Tabor, something no one has managed to do for a long time. We've been chatting today, so it's already time for Disgrace the Week, our favorite part of the show. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, I can keep, I try to keep these local, and I can keep these lo this one local because Roseanne once lived here in Colorado. In fact, she came into Westward once and wanted to write something for us, and we said, you're not funny. And in <sighs> fact, what she said this week was not funny at all. Uh, she's paying a pretty heavy price, but you know, you just don't say things like that anymore. David. Um, to follow up on Patty's point, maybe everybody, starting with the president and also late night so-called angry comedians and other folks in public life should stop using vulgarity in public discourse. I'd love to see that happen, uh, but I'm not a cynic to think that it might be far off. Eric. Well, speaking of cynic, there's plenty of cynicism as it is in politics. There's also these days a new level of just plain old stupidity. I'm talking about the end of month, it begathons that all of our email inboxes get clogged up with from every candidate. If you're remotely politically active, you're on everyone's mailing list. And these end of month begathons for money, for $5 or whatever, there's one candidate who will remain nameless, though the name has been mentioned on this program uh, already. I received seven emails yesterday from that campaign. Uh, including spouse, including you name it, begging for the last $5 with some hooked up version of we're now $1,241 short, now we're $943 short. The begathon is unbecoming a political system that, uh, that we've been handed. I mean, imagine an organization begging their members for money time and time again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Penn, you're up next. Um, uh, all of us. Be, for not acknowledging the law of unintended consequences. Over the years, in the hopes of trying to clean up politics, we have promoted a system where you have these ghost committees that can raise money that don't have to report and then can put out flyers and run ads that are extremely negative and all the candidates sit around and try to disavow them 
where we could have kept this real simply and allowed basically no contribution limits, but to report where all your money comes from every week. Uh, as a former candidate, I would have enjoyed that much more, and then I'm responsible mm -hmm. for the message out there about me rather than having to go home and see something in the mail from a supporter that I would have never said about an opponent in, in my life. And you can control the timing so it doesn't, have, doesn't break uh, uh, 12 hours before you're supposed to go into a debate. Yeah. Let's get to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Governor John Hickenlooper had three good choices for the new Supreme Court justice, and Carlos Zamora was an excellent choice. David. President Trump and the entire Colorado congressional delegation, with one exception, which all voted for a bill that he signed uh, this week called uh, Right to Try, which says if you have a fatal disease, then you can try experimental drugs which haven't gone through the full FDA process because, well, if they're not, as, if they're not perfectly safe, why not? You're going to die anyway, so why not take a give people the option of trying something that might save their lives. One of the people at the signing ceremony was Mike Simbura, a Colorado guy from Highlands Ranch who has Lou Gehrig's disease, for which in the approved drugs uh, there is no known cure. So, so good for everybody for promoting right to try. Eric. First off, Penn is so right on with his previous uh, response about campaign finance, quote-unquote, reform. We've just taken all the money around and send it through the back door where it's unaccountable. Kudos to that analysis. Real quickly, we had a guest here, or really a volunteer here, uh, for the debate that was taped uh, a couple days ago, as you know, Dominic. Name is Teddy Hickenlooper, young, I think 15, 16 year old, very impressive young man, uh, happens to be the son of Governor Hickenlooper and of Helen Thorpe. He helped uh, in a numerous aspects of getting this debate ready. There were two advantages of it. One is, uh, you know, there's a appropriateness to it. All these people are running to take dad's job. Uh, secondly, all the candidates, he relaxed them because they all knew him when he was young and growing up and uh, just seeing uh, Teddy as they walked in the door took a little bit of the edge off the moment. Yeah. Here, here, Teddy, if you're watching, you did a fantastic job. Penn. Well, my disgrace was all of us, so my say something nice is all of us. Um, the things, some of the things that make our community great is how we celebrate with one another and enjoy the just beauty of Colorado. The People's Fair this weekend and the Food Truck Festival down here in Five Points, they're the types of summer activities or civic activities that just make living in Denver and in Colorado a true joy. Folks, get out and enjoy. Here, here. Two things before we go tonight. First, be sure to stay tuned right here at 9 p.m. for the kickoff of our election season with the premiere of Colorado Decides and the Democrats running for governor of Colorado. It's an enlightening debate. Trust me. And finally, before we leave tonight, I want to make note of a big departure here at Colorado Inside Out. Our producer, Gabrielle Bryant, joined our program as an intern in 2010. She became the show's producer in 2013 and has been a magnificent part of this show's history, bringing fresh faces, voices, and perspective to this program. Well, she's moving on next week, joining the team at the mayor's office. You can tell she's highly qualified because she got that job even after being associated with this program. It's very impressive. But, Gabrielle, thank you for your eight great years of service to this station, and good luck at the mayor's office. We will not be making it any light any easier for you at this table, but good luck. That's all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Take CIO wherever you go. Check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And for everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Good night. Thank you.